early ancestors were hunters and gatherers. Finding a source of food meant their survival. But our earliest ancestors wielded nothing more than their will to live and their dependence on each other. Now, you may be wondering why natural selection did not take its course. How our ancient ancestors evolved into the human beings we are today. All of that and much more will be answered over the next few minutes. So lay back and relax as I take you on the story of our ancient ancestors and how evolution gave them the superpower to run indefinitely. So, back to the story. Like I said before, our ancestors were hunters and gatherers. Now, if you've been paying attention up to this point, you will remember me telling you that our early ancestors did not possess bows and arrows, or any tools for that matter. So how would they hunt their prey? And this is where evolution comes into Unfortunately for our ancestors, many desirable traits were hard to come by. In terms of speed, even world-class sprinters of our time fall short, reaching top speeds just over 23 miles per hour. While this may be impressive in comparison to other humans, unless our ancestors resorted to cannibalism in dire times of need, speeds up to 23 miles per hour just doesn't cut it when other animals such as the pronghorn antelope can reach speeds upwards of 55 miles per hour so how did our ancestors catch their prey if they were so so slow the answer to that can be found in the story of the tortoise and the hare see the humans are the tortoise and the hares are prey We are slow yet persistent, and while our prey may be quicker, our selective advantage is our endless endurance. Our early ancestors didn't need weapons to take their prey. All they needed was to outlast the physical breaking point of their prey. In other words, they ran their prey to death. Now, this is one of those things that is easier said than done. For many of you listening, the mere thought of going outside and running just a mile may feel debilitating. Now I want you to imagine doing that 50 times. Seems tougher, right? But now I want you to imagine doing that 100 times. And remember, taking a break meant sacrificing dinner for your starving family. It still may seem impossible though, but it was not. Up to this point, you may be wondering, why should I care about this? I mean, we have cars for a reason, right? And if I want something to eat, I can get in my car, drive to a restaurant, get some food, and drive back home. So why bother? Well, my friends, what if I told you that you could get high off of nothing but your blood, sweat, and tears? That is right, I am talking about runner's high.
to talk to us today about running is my dear friend, mentor, and coach, Kurt Wilson. To get started, how about you tell everyone out there your first memory of running and how it catalyzed your deep passion for the sport of running? Well, I guess I grew up on a dairy farm, and so my first memories of running are chasing cattle and getting the cows and... and uh, Running around the farm was a great uh, introduction to running, and at night we'd play uh, games with the neighbors called Pony Express, where you had to run around the outside of the house without getting tackled, and they'd have to tackle you and hold it out for 10 seconds be, uh, in order to be caught. And uh, so uh, the first experience for me was definitely a fun experience and enjoyment of, uh, of running. As far as uh, going into uh, passion for the sport you know I really didn't run as a sport until I got into high school and I had a great coach Dick McKeegan in Platteville uh, that uh, developed that in me. Wow that is a really interesting story. Now moving on I was wondering if you could tell our listeners if you have ever felt a runner's high and how this experience made you feel. I guess uh, I would define uh, runner's high as uh, having the feeling that you can run all day and uh, as many years as I've ran of course I've been able to do that from time to time and I guess the first time I was in high school and getting ready to uh, train for the season I was doing like five or seven miles at a crack and then uh, one day I just decided instead of taking left take a right and uh, ended up running um, for several hours and I came back and uh, drove my car the course to see how far I ran. It was like 13 and a half miles, and I would have never just chose to do that starting out a run. It's just that I felt so good that day. But it's best, you know, if it happens during races, and I had that several times too. And I don't know if you're in your research, you've heard about it happening in other sports, but uh, I've had it happen in swimming as well. When I've uh, got into a competitive swimming here thing here at the uh, high school and um, see how many yards you could swim in a two-week period, and uh, so I started out, I was just helping them out, and then I got competitive with the other people in, in Lodi here and uh, ended up uh, swimming, averaging over three miles a day. And so some of those times when you were in the pool, you can get uh, that repetitive movement that they say is familiar with uh, uh, runner's high uh, got me, so I felt I could swim a long time as well. That runner's high really is a magical feeling. From my personal experiences during cross-country, you have the art and the ability to inspire your athletes. Is there anything you would like to tell our listeners out there who may feel doubtful about starting to run? Well, if it's based on uh, being afraid that you can't do something, um, you can't do it. I read a book one time um, about fear, and, they, and the gist of the book is, do the thing you fear and the death of fear is certain. And um, the main thing is just to start out slow. It's like, you know, if I haven't ran for a while and I want to start running again, I go out to the fitness center and I run one side of the, the track and then walk one, walk, run one, walk one, and then uh, do two. And, and before you know it, you're running laps out there. And, and then out in the public, you can do the same thing by uh, just running from telephone post to telephone post. Well, I don't know if there are telephone posts out there, electrical posts, uh, to uh, – uh, get your confidence up. And that's the big thing is getting enough self-confidence that you can do it. 
And uh, the other beneficial thing, go out and, and see places you've never seen before, and it helps you mentally as well. And some people say, well, running is my therapy, and uh, all those positive uh, uh uh, chemicals that are released in your brain from the runner's high, uh, uh, they're very uh, helpful to get through things in life. Wow. Truly an inspiration. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me to our listeners and share your inspirational stories. Once again, everybody, Coach Kurt Wilson. Now, I know some of you listening may still be doubtful about the validity of runner's high, and some of you may be wondering how this amazing thing works. So let's end talking a little about the science of it. First of all, a popular belief is that the endorphins our bodies release during exercise are responsible. However, recent research published by the National Academy of Sciences points to a different source, endocannabinoids. Now, some of you are thinking that, hmm, endocannabinoids, that kind of sounds familiar. Well, that is because they are familiar. Endocannabinoids are the cousins of THC found in marijuana. So why do scientists think these molecular cousins of THC are the source of runner's high? That's right, you guessed it, size. While endorphins are great at alleviating muscle pain, their large molecular size prevents them from flowing freely within the receptors in our brain. Luckily for us, the endocannabinoids in our brain are smaller and are thought to be able to flow freely, interacting with the same system and receptors as THC. But of course, this was just only a hypothesis So what did any great scientist resort to? That's right, you also guessed it, mice. I know, shocking, right? But the results were actually quite intriguing. They took a group of healthy mice and put them in a cage with areas of bright spots and areas of dark spots. They blocked each receptor, either the opiate or the endocannabinoid, one at a time, and then had the mice run on a wheel For a long, long time. As a general rule of thumb, stressed mice will seek shelter in darker areas. However, more relaxed mice are a lot more comfortable in brighter areas. So what did they find out? The mice with endorphin receptor blocked still preferred the bright spots. In comparison, the mice with the endocannabinoid receptor blocked retreated to the dark spots. In other words, the mice that could not activate their endocannabinoid system were unable to relax. So there you have it, folks. The science of runner's high. Evolutionarily speaking, our ancestors produced these same neurotransmitters that made running hundreds of miles not only manageable, but also enjoyable. So if you ever find yourself in times of immense stress, just know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. As someone wise once said, running reminds you that even in your weakest moments, you are strong. So go out there and run high on life, literally high, the runner's high.